Chapter Thirty Three of the Scalp Hunters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Scalp Hunters by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter Thirty Three: A Bitter Trap. We reached the ruin a little after sunset frightened the owl and the wolf, and made our bivouac among the crumbling walls. Our horses were picketed upon the deserted lawns, and in the long-neglected orchards, where the ripe fruit was raining down its ungathered showers, fires were kindled. Lighting the gray pile with their cheerful blazing, and joints of meat were taken out of the hide packs and roasted for supper. There was water in abundance, a branch of the San Pedro, but past the walls of the mission. There were yams in the spoilated gardens, there were grapes and pomegranates, and quinces and melons and pears and peaches and apples, and with all these was our repast garnished. It was soon over, and the vedettes were thrown out to the tracks that led to the ruin. The men were weak and weary with their last fasting, and a short while stretched themselves by their saddles and slept. So much for our first night at the Mission of San Pedro. We were to remain there for three days, or until the buffalo meat should be dried for packing. They were irksome days to me. Idleness displayed the bad qualities of my half-savage associates. The ribald jest and fearful oath rang continually in my ears, until I was fain to wander off to the woods with the old botanist, who— during these three days, reveled in the happy excitement of discovery. I found companionship also in the Maricopa. This strange man had studied silence deeply, and conversed with almost every noted author. He was reserved only when I wished him to talk of himself. Penguin, during these days, was taciturn and lonely. He took but little heed of what was going on around him. He seemed to be suffering from impatience. As every now and then he paid a visit to the Tassajo, he passed many hours upon the adjacent heights, looking anxiously toward the east, that point whence our spies would come in from the pinion. There was an azote on the ruin. I was in the habit of seeking this place at evening after the sun had grown less fervid. It afforded a fine prospect to the valley, but its chief attraction to me lay in the retirement I could there obtain. The hunters rarely climbed up it, and their wild and licensed converse was unheard for the time. I used to spread my blanket among the crumbling parapets, and stretch upon it, delivering myself up to the sweet retrospect, or to sweeter dreams that my fancy outlined upon the future. There was one object on my memory. Upon that object only did my hopes dwell. I did not make this declaration, at least to those who have truly loved, in the program placed before me by Sanguine. I had not bargained for such wanton cruelties, and as I was now compelled to witness, it was not the time to look back, but forward, and perhaps over other scenes of blood and brutality, to that happier hour when I should have redeemed my promise and won the prize of beautiful Zoe. My reverie was interrupted. I heard voices and footsteps. They were approaching the spot where I lay. I could see that there were two men engaged in earnest conversation. They did not notice me, and 
I was behind some fragments of the broken parapet, and in the shadows they drew nearer. I recognized the plateau of my Canadian fellow, and that of his companion was not to be mistaken. The brogue was Barney's beyond a doubt. These worthies, I had later noticed, had become as thick as two thieves, and were much in each other's company. Some act of kindness had endeared the infantry to his more astute and experienced associate, who had taken him under his patronage and protection. I was vexed at the intrusion, but, prompted by some impulsive curiosity, I lay still and listened. Barney was speaking as they approached. In truth, Mr. Gowdy, it's meself uh, go far this blessed night for a drop of the crater. I noticed a little keg before, but devil save me now. I thought it was a barrel of cold water. Only think of the old Dutch sinner bringing a whole keg and keeping it all to himself. Is our sure now it's the stuff? Wee oui, wee, oui, see liquor, aguardiente. Aguardiente, do you know? We. Oui. Monsieur Barney, I have him smell very many time. It is strong, good. Oh, why couldn't you steal it yourself? You know exactly where the doctor keeps it, and you might get it a lot handier than I can. Well, quiet, Barney, because, mon ami, I help pack his things of the monsieur la doctor. Ah, do he would suspect me. I don't see the raisin clear. He may suspect you at all events, Hal thinking. And then I shall make von Grand swear no. I shall have very clear conscience then. Be the powers, we must get the liquor anyhow. And if you won't, Mr. Gowdy, I will. That's said, isn't it? Oh, we three be in. Well then, now or never's the time. The old fellow just walked out. For I saw him myself. This is a great place to drink it in. Come, show me where he keeps it. By St. Patrick, I'm your man to hook it. Très bien, allons. Monsieur Barney, très bien de lance. Let's go. Unintelligible as this conversation may appear, I understood every word of it. Among his packs, a small keg of mescal spirits, for the purpose of preserving any new species of lizard or snake tribe he should chance to fall in with. What I heard then was neither more or less than a plot to steal the keg and its contents. My first impulse was to leap up and stop them in their design as well as administer a solitary rebuke to my voyager and his red-haired companion. But a moment's reflection convinced me that they could be better punished in another way. I would leave them to punish themselves. I remember that some day previous to our reach in the Ojo de Vaca, the doctor had captured a snake of the adder kind, two or three species of lizards, and a hideous-looking animal called in hunter phraseology the horned frog, a gamma cornuta of texas and mexico these he had immersed in the spirits for preservation i had observed him do so and it was evident that neither my frenchman nor the irishman had any idea of this <laughs> i adopted the resolution therefore to let them drink a full bumper of the pickle before i should interfere knowing that they would soon return i remained where i was i had not long to wait upon them in a few minutes they came up Barney carrying what I knew to be the devoted keg. They sat down close to where I lay, and, pressing out the bung, filled the liquor into their tin cups and commenced in bibbling. Drow the pair of mortals could not have been found anywhere, and at the first draught each emptied his cup to the bottom. 
"'It has a quare taste, hasn't it?' said Mr. Barney, after he had taken the vessel from his lips. "'Oui, monsieur. What do you think it is?' "'Je ne sais quoi. It smells like one, one. It's a fish, you mean?' "'Oui, like a fish. On banquet très bizarre frito. I suppose it's something that Mexicans have dropped in to give the aguente a flavor. It might be strong anyhow. Nothing worse than that, but it ought to be sorry drinking alongside an eight dim jan of Irish patin. Oh, it's mother of Moses, but that's the rail beverage. Here the Irishman shook his head to express with more emphasis his admiration of the native whiskey. Well, Mr. Gowdy, continued he, whiskey's whiskey at any rate, and we can get the butter. It's no reason we should refuse the bread. So I'll thank you for another small trifle out of the keg. And the speaker held out his tin vessel to be replenished. Gowdy lifted the keg and emptied more of its contents in their cups. Bon Dieu, what is this in my cups? exclaimed him after a draught. What is it? Let me see. That That's a queer-looking critter, anyhow. Sacre bleu, it's a von Texan von frog dat is fish with smell. Oh, wah, oh, holy mother, if it isn't another in mine, by jabbers, it's a scorpion lizard. Oh, my God, sacre bleu, sacre bleu. Our nation, the old doctor has, well, blessed virgin, he put in poison. And the brace of the revelers went staggering over the, the azota, delivering their stomachs and ejaculating in extreme terror as the thought struck them that there might be poison in the pickle. I had to rise to my feet and was enjoying the joke in loud laughter. This and the exclamation of the men brought a crowd of hunters up to the roof, who, as soon as they perceived what had happened, joined in and made the ruin ring with their wild peals. The doctor, who had come along with the rest, was not so well satisfied with the occurrence. After a short search, however, the lizards were found and returned to the keg, which still contained enough of the spirit for its purpose. It was not likely to be disturbed again, even by the thirstiest hunter in the band. End of chapter 33 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan